Pitch swinging and he sends it to deep right center field. Gone! A grand slam for Matt Chapman. And all of a sudden it's a two-run game. Luke and Harry and me on the bundle line switch. Who watches over you? Make a little birdhouse in your soul. Not to put too fine a point on it. Say I'm the only bee in your bonnet. Make a little birdhouse in your soul. Hello, welcome to Jays from Home. Matt Gower here hosting solo. Steve has to work, so he will not be joining me today because I'm recording on a Monday after a full week of Blue Jays baseball. It's been a pretty good week, in fact. Um, They finished off their road trip in Kansas City and then in L.A. against the uh, Angels in Anaheim. Um, Pretty good week in general. Um, Their total... uh, record right now wins and losses they played 10 games or six and four uh, they started uh the week on monday losing to the royals nine to five uh that was a tough outing for jose barrios he uh he gave up uh, i can't even see my own writing here he gave up uh, i think seven earned runs and lasted 5.2 uh innings on the, on the bright side, he did last 5.2 innings, so he kind of saved the bullpen a little bit there. Um, some things that I noticed from that from the 9-5 loss against the Royals, just some little things. The The strike zone was pretty wide. Uh, the umps were calling more strikes on on, on the left-handed side, it seemed. And, and Vladdy, he uh, stole third base in the sixth inning. Now, nobody was covering the bag, but he got a stolen base, so that's that's pretty cool. Um, Tuesday, uh, they won uh, against the Royals 4-1, to um, and that was uh, thanks to a pretty strong outing by uh, Yusei Kikuchi. He, um, he gets the win. He only gave up one earned run. It was a home run to, I think it was MJ, was it MJ Melendez? I'm not, I'm not sure. I forget now. Uh, but he gave up just one home run and, and pitched five strong innings, so that was nice to see. Uh, uh, Dalton Varsho gets his uh, first got his first home run as a Blue Jay in that game, and um, one of two uh, bunt singles uh, that he this week uh, he got uh, he reached base sa- safely in the eighth inning in that game. Um, Wednesday the Jays won three to nothing. A uh, quick game. Alec Manoa pitched really strong in this one. It was two hours and 17 minutes. Uh, the Royals only got two hits, and their last hit uh, came in the ninth inning off of one of the Jays. Really, I forget who was relieving that game. Um, Thursday, the Jays finished off the series. They won 6-3. to three. Um, Kevin Gossman pitched well. Um, it was a little, little uh, iffy in the bullpen near the end, uh, you know. But it's the end of this. It was the end of the series. The so they're you know maybe the, the arms are getting a, a little bit tired there. Uh, but yeah, they won six to three. Uh, they were up six nothing for most of the game, and I think the Royals came on a little bit strong near the end of the game. Uh, Friday they traveled to Anaheim to face the Angels and opening up that series they won four to three. Um, Chris Bassett had a had a good game, and I think did he get called for uh, a, a a a pitch clock violation right off the bat? Um, I think Dallas Steve made a good point that they the reason why he got called for the um, for the pitch clock violation was because the uh, the pitch com device that they were using wasn't working properly. So it's something that before they even throw their their warm up pitches, they should really. Uh, make sure that they work before they start the game. Dallas Steve tweeted that out the other day, and that's a, that's a really obvious point that you know has never come to mind until, <laughs> until he said it. Um, so uh, 
Vladdy Sr. threw out the first pitch. So that was nice to see. Uh, and, 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 and Vladdy Jr. got uh, a big reaction because he spent a lot of his, his younger days running around the fields in Anaheim. So that was, that was cool. Um, Anthony Rondone uh, served the final game of his uh, four-game suspension in that game in, in on Friday um, after getting into an altercation with a fan. So that was not a great scene if you if you saw the the, cl- the clip of that going around on the internet. Um, yeah, and so after Bassett got called with the pitch clock violation, he gave up a, a two-run home run to Mike Trout, so that wasn't good. Uh, Bichette ended up hitting the go-ahead uh, three-run home run in the seventh. Um, Saturday, the Jays lost 9-5. to five. Uh, Barrios, he was having his troubles again, but I think uh, it, he improved over his last start for sure. Uh, Bichette and Springer hit home runs that day, and Trout hit another home run. Um, Sunday was just a crazy game. Um, they, the Jays won 12 to 11 to win the series in, uh, 10 innings. It was, that was, <laughs> if you have heart tro- troubles, that was not the game to watch because there were two injury scares. Uh, Bichette came up kind of, ho- it's not Bichette, sorry, Chapman came up holding his, his hamstring after diving for a ball, but he turned out to be okay. And, and then, uh, Vladdy got, uh, hit in the toe. Uh, by a pitch. Uh, I guess that just really hurt, but he he is okay uh, as well. Um, Chapman and Kiermaier both had five RBIs, and I think I saw a tweet somewhere that the last time two Blue Jays had five RBIs in a game was that 28-5 victory against the Red Sox. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was going back and forth, back and forth. I didn't end up tuning in until, uh, like, the Jays were down six to nothing. I guess uh, Kikuchi have had some some bad luck uh, in that game. Uh, but the Jays came back. Uh, they, they won 12 to 11. But I could have sworn that the win probability chart, there was like a loop-de-loop in there. Because it was, it, was, it was crazy. That, that, that was a fun game to watch. Uh, you know, right down to the final at-bat with Shohei Otani. Uh, what did he do? Did he fly out? I forget. Uh, but yeah, the Jays held on to win that game and win the series. It was pretty exciting. Um, okay, so yeah, just getting to my uh, my my, uh, we gotta call this segment something. I don't even know what to call it yet. My, the, the the strikeout no decision and home runs. We have to call it something. I had I had an idea for a name earlier in the week, but I didn't write it down, so it's it, it has left my brain. But anyways, my strikeout for the week. Uh, I'll start with that. Um, start with a negative, is uh, Brandon Belt. He so far has only one hit. Um, he's, he, the only hit that he got came on opening day, and he has so far 15 strikeouts to start this season. So that's my that is my my strikeout for the week is Brandon Belt and his 15 strikeouts. He's having a pretty rough start to the season. Um, I think that Andrew Stoughton made a point saying in his in his podcast saying that maybe you know maybe Belt's not as 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 healthy as the Blue Jays are saying publicly. Maybe he's he's still recovering a bit from from surgery. And he did have a slow he did have a later start to spring training. So so maybe he needs a little bit more time to to turn things around and hopefully he will. Uh, because a lot of people are comparing his start to uh, Jared Sultan Lamakia's start uh, a while back. Uh, he went I think 1 for 25 before getting released by the end of the of April by the Jays, but I think uh, things are going to go differently as, as far as the, the Jays aren't going to release Brandon Belt they're going to give him some time uh at the very least so uh he's, he'll be here more than a month for sure um my no decision is is Yusei Kikuchi uh he had some bad luck against the Angels but he had a really good start against uh, the Royals now granted the Angels are a better team than the Royals I I, I think I hope um so we'll just have to kind of give him some more starts but it's good that he that you know he came out strong in the in his opening start um and he's just building on that, so that that's good. Um, I have a bunt 
this week. My bunt is is Dalton Varsho and his drag bunts. Uh, so far, he is two for two uh, on on his drag bunts. He got another one in Sunday's game. I think right after that uh, Matt Chapman Grand Slam, he he kind of caught the Angels uh, sleeping a little bit, and he bunted his way on, onto first base. And that's kind of his his not so secret weapon is is getting bunt singles uh, on onto first base. I think he only I think he did it like. Uh, I think he only he, he missed one one or two times last year, so he's really good at, at uh, picking his moments to bunt him, his way onto onto base. So that's pretty exciting, and he's having a really good start to the season too. Uh, my home run is uh, Matt Chapman. He is is just on fire to start the season. He's hitting four seventy five with two home runs. He got his first grand slam of his career uh, on, on Sunday. Um, and his OPS is 1.323 to start the year. Um, he, and he also leads, uh, this is according to a Ben Nicholson Smith tweet. He says that Matt Chapman leads uh, MLB with 24 hard hit balls. Uh, that's any, any hit that's above 95 miles per hour. And Vladdy Jr. ranks second with 22 and Bo Bichette is tied for fourth with 18. So the, uh, top of the, the, the order for the Blue Jays are, are, are hitting really well and hitting the ball really hard. So that's exciting to see. But my home run, uh, this week goes to Matt Chapman. I, I could have given it to any of those, those, those guys at the top of the order, Varsho, Chapman, Bo Bichette. Uh, but, uh, you know, they'll have their moments throughout the, the year. Matt Chapman in his hot start gets, gets the spotlight this week for sure. Um, just some kind of minor Jays notes. Um, earlier in the week, uh, it was announced that the Jays claimed Jordan Luplo from, uh, the Braves and, op- and they optioned him to AAA, but they actually did bring him up and he started, I think against, I think he started on Friday against the Angels because the Angels, uh, they had three lefty starters in a row against the Jays, so uh, he he uh, immediately came into the lineup. Um, so so that was that was an interesting uh, depth add, and and he's he and and he was on the field already. So um, I think he's he's here to stay for a little bit. Um, yeah, he's he, just good to see. Um, and then not much. Jay's notes for the week, but uh, there was an interesting little tidbit of, of, of news here. Um, the Vancouver Canadians uh, were sold to Diamond Baseball Holdings. Now, I, I originally thought that the Jays controlled the Vancouver Canadians, but they don't. They were uh, they were owned by Jake Kerr and Jeff Mooney, um, and they, they sold the team to, to Diamond Baseball Holdings, but they'll stay on in uh, with the team in other roles. The interesting thing about uh, Diamond Holdings is Diamond Baseball Holdings is that they own uh, like a ton of minor league teams. So this potentially may not be great news for Vancouver if they want to stay in that market. Uh, so so that may might maybe having a a less involved owner might make it easier to move that team if they need to. Uh, but it would be nice to keep you know, as much minor league baseball in Canada as we can, because there in the nineties, there was kind of a, a renaissance of minor league baseball. There was, there were teams at Edmonton, Calgary, Winnipeg, I think had a team as well, but they all kind of moved away, uh, uh, at, in, into the two thousands, even here in Ottawa, we had a minor league team, the, the links. Um, so, you know, the more minor league teams, uh, affiliated teams in, in Canada, the better, but I think, um, it's kind of, you know, Baseball needs to be a little bit uh, have a stronger foothold uh, 
to get more minor league teams. Maybe that means bringing back the Expos, or maybe that means putting that one of those extra uh, expansion teams in Vancouver. That would be cool to see. Uh, then you would probably have to move uh, those Canadians out of, out of Vancouver to a different market. But hopefully in Canada, we'll have to see. Josh, slow chopper to second. Here comes the throw to the plate. He is safe, and the Guardians walk it off. Okay, uh, here's our quick B-team update. Um, now, uh, it's been two... We're, we're, we just finished our second weekend of the uh, regular season, and uh, our two B-teams, Cleveland and Seattle, faced off against each other on, on the for opening two weekends. It was a pretty quick turnaround. And uh, this weekend, uh, in Cleveland, Seattle won two out of three. So uh, they won that series, but overall, uh, because Cleveland won the first series Cleveland wins the season series four to three um, and overall uh, Cleveland is six and four and Seattle is four four and six so Steve so far I am in the lead I am winning our little uh, B team battle right now uh, this week Cleveland uh, uh, plays at home against the Yankees and then uh, heads to Washington to face the Nationals and then Seattle is playing uh, in Chicago uh, at the Cubs and then they're gonna go, and then then they're gonna face the Rockies uh, at home. So um, I think that Seattle has a bit of an easier week than Cleveland because the Yankees are gonna be a handful. Now the Rockies and Nationals are definitely not handfuls. Handfuls, so they should have an easy time uh, against those opponents. Hopefully, both teams. Um, and then finally, just a little bit of of uh, interesting uh, Cleveland Guardians news here. Um, they're going to wear a JA patch on the uniforms. They wore it uh, this past Friday in honor of longtime ballpark drummer John Adams, who passed away earlier this year, and it'll fe feature his bass drum mallets. Um, if you've ever watched Cleveland games in the past and you hear a big, like a constant just drum beat going, that's the guy. Uh, or if you watched Major League, he's. I think they featured him in some... some uh, uh, a bit of the the major league movie he he's the guy who just would always hit the drums and i guess he passed away earlier this year so it's nice that they're kind of giving him a little bit of a a, a tribute there um and just around the uh major league baseball here i guess um they're going to be testing a new enhanced grip baseball in the southern league southern league this year so that's interesting because um it, it i think it, it makes more sense to have a like a tacky ball than to have to put stuff on it, than have to, to have to treat it, and it seems like it's taking Major League Baseball a really long time to 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 find that kind of right tacky feeling, and uh, it's something that I think uh, the uh, Japanese baseball is doing. I I don't know if they're doing. They might be doing it in Korea as well. I'm not sure, but uh, it's something that uh, seems like a no brainer that they should be able to 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 treat the ball and and have it and not have to have. Uh, it caked in mud before each game, and it, and and I think we talked about it last year. Like they the the mud that they were putting on that Mississippi mud that they were putting on the on the baseball uh, last year wasn't get, even getting applied consistently. So uh, to have a tacky grip, uh, have it consistent on, on each baseball is I, I think a really important thing, and that'll help to kind of. Uh, uh, just have less sticky stuff uh, enforcement to have to worry about, um, and then uh, the they MLB signed a uh, a content deal with Imagine Entertainment. Now Imagine Entertainment is owned by uh, Ron Howard and Brian Glazer, um, and the deal apparently includes scripted and unscripted content. Uh, so maybe we'll see more uh, more baseball movies and TV shows, uh, dramatic or comedic, whatever. Um, apparently, also the, the in the on the unscripted side, they're going to be producing some sort of like post World Series documentary. 
but yeah, there's definitely not a lot of new scripted baseball content out there. Just because in general, it doesn't sell internationally, I guess. It's more of a kind of North America specific uh, sport to, to market. So uh, uh, yeah, it'd be nice to see more more just dramatic, uh, original baseball content for sure. And finally, just around the league, uh, so just some, some good news. Liam Hendricks, uh, he completed chemotherapy treatment and uh, his uh, doctors have declared him uh, cancer-free. So that's that's great news. Um, all right, now it's time for the Blue Jays' look ahead. Uh, the trade deadline uh, is set for Tuesday, August 1st by MLB just announced this this week. Uh, so that's that's interesting. Um, but more importantly, after being on the road, the Jays are heading home. They will be uh, playing their home opener on Tuesday. Uh, they will be playing Detroit uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then the big series this weekend is going to be against uh, Tampa Bay. So that'll be an interesting uh, series for sure. Because Tampa Bay so far, yes, they're the best team in baseball. They're starting off really strong. But their opponents have all been pretty weak. You know, they've, they've faced off, they've played Detroit and, and the Nationals. So now they're going to be kind of playing a, a stronger opponent in Toronto. I'm not sure who, who Tampa Bay is playing uh, early in the week, but uh, you know they've they've definitely faced some weaker competition and 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 won those games. Um, but uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see uh, how they match up against Toronto. Um, quick Titans check in. Um, they w- just announced that they will be having a couple of tune up exhibition games uh, in May on May 9th and 10th against the Trois Rivières Aigles and the uh, the Quebec Capital. So so. Uh, tickets are available, so you can go check those out. And finally, um, we're going to head to a uh, my interview with Noah Woodward. We talked about kind of all things scouting. It was a really fun talk, so uh, here we go. All right, so we're here with Noah Wood- Woodward from uh, the Advanced Scout newsletter. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. Um, now, for... I don't know why, but your your newsletter seemed to just come out of nowhere for me. Like it was just almost magical. What's your what's your baseball background? Yeah, I, well, I worked in baseball for uh, I guess the better part of my career so far. Uh, I, I uh, wrote about baseball when I was in college. I, I knew I always wanted to do that as a as a career path, uh, and it was very fortunate in the, the you know the connections that ended up kind of coming into place and and. Um, you know, the writing that I was was doing was sort of linked up with uh, some of the the teams that were looking to hire at that time. So mm-hmm. uh, that good fortune uh, led to a couple of positions with uh, teams first briefly with the Orioles then the Braves uh, and then most recently with the Astros. Uh, and then after that uh, experience, I, I sort of over the past couple of years decided to transition out of baseball. Most recently, it was was a consulting position with the Astros. Uh, and then now I just feel kind of more connected to the game through writing, kind of getting back to what I was doing and, and why I fell in love with it in the first place. And and why did you choose um, Substack as your, as your, uh, as your uh, method to, to, to write on? That's a good question. I, I, I don't really know that it was a conscious decision. I, I, knew others who were writing on the platform. Um, my, my wife, suggested it <laughs> that's probably the, the simplest answer uh it's easy to write for it's easy to, to you know get something out quickly and i feel like uh has a sort of a reputation now and 
uh, in other newsletters and that have, have gained traction uh, so far. So. Yeah, I know. I would agree with that. I think Substack is definitely having a bit of a boom. I've joined probably around the same time that you did as well. So it's it's um it's almost becoming the new Twitter because people are 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 just kind of uh, getting their their at least the hardcore baseball fans that I know are, are getting their their fix that way. Um, now you you focus on scouting in your newsletter, obviously. Um, how is advanced scouting and scouting for prospects? How's the how does is that approached uh, differently? Yeah, yeah, it, it it is quite different. So, uh, advanced scouting, I would say, in the simplest terms, is scouting your next opponent at the major league level. So, there's a lot of effort put into winning major league games. That's kind of what it's all about at the end of the day, and that's what scouting prospects is about. Eventually, you know, hoping that those prospects will help you win major league games. But uh, once you get there, once you have a team constructed, uh, it's about finding the little edges that you can. Uh, ways to put the strengths of your team uh, in the focus and 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 let those strengths kind of expose themselves against weaknesses uh, of the team that you're about to play. So that type of scouting is done with video. It's done with numbers um, and reports, and it's done in close conjunction with the players and the coaches uh, to transfer any kind of information that they feel might be helpful or, or you, you can uh, pick up based on, uh, again, video or, or certain tendencies that That'll give you an edge in a game. Okay. And did you do most of your scouting in person or you mentioned video? Like, was it, was it kind of uh, remotely based? Yeah. Uh, almost all of it uh, on video. Yeah. Uh, some, some in spring training, uh, but the video in spring training has actually gotten a lot better. So it kind of eliminates the need for even in-person scouting and spring training as well. Okay. And, and a lot, a lot of ch- has changed over the past five years, including the pandemic. How has the role of scouting changed in MLB over those years? Wow. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if I'm I'm the best person to answer that. I think that it, it, there's been a gradual shift away from in-person scouting. Uh, maybe not gradual so much. It's 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 almost been eliminated at least for uh, pro prospects and and at the major league level, uh, just because of the the wide availability of video. I mean, you can get major league video from a number of different angles for every single game. Uh, minor league video is the same way. Uh, so I think that shift of availability in video and just the amount of work that one can do uh, in, in a compressed amount of time is is just so much greater than, than you could do in person. You're traveling to a game, traveling to a series. Um, but that said, I, I think there's a ton of value to in-person scouting. And I really respect um, you know, the number of scouts that I've come to know over the, the past couple of years um, in the work that they do. And, and I don't think that the sort of the scouting that can be picked up outside of those those quick video clips that we get from uh, games, major league and minor league games. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of value uh, before, uh, you know, the afternoon before first pitch, what's going on in the field, what's going on in the clubhouse and, and in-person scouts, uh, you know, used to uh, pick up a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And, and what is your preference for the remote scouting or do you, what, what, what do you like, to, what would you rather be doing in a perfect world? Yeah, I don't know. I, I do like getting out. Uh, and I think a lot of people do like like scouting games in person. I think it's just a different experience. It's, I mean, granted, it, you, you need to get the right seat. You need to be in the scout seats to to watch a game. There are certain things that you can't see as well. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's just a lot more effective to do on video. So I guess my ideal split would be, I don't know, 70, 30 to in video, video in person. Um, but it's just, it's not likely that I think 
a position would exist that that would create that kind of split. Yeah, no, I I, I was kind of guessing that would be your answer based on 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 your on your uh, on your newsletter. Um, uh, how have the new? Speaking of your newsletter, uh, one of the uh, most popular ones was about the um, you know Max Scherzer's adapting to the new uh, rules. How have they played out according to your expectations so far? Just in general. Yeah, I think not how I would have expected. I don't know what your takeaway has been, but I think there would have been. I, I was, I guess, I was anticipating uh, that I would notice the the use of pickoffs more in the early going. I think it's kind of faded in the background for me a little bit. Um, I think you've definitely seen pitchers that have forgotten about the rule or not uh, put thought into how they were going to use the two disengagements. Um, you know, on opening day, and kind of realize that. I think when you have 40,000 fans in the ballpark, that might change things, you know, when you yeah. think about that versus a spring training environment. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that's been my takeaway so far. I think uh, certain pitchers have, have leveraged it in a way that's that makes it not noticeable, which I think is probably good for the game. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, that our attention's focused away from that. Um, on the disengagements, I haven't noticed at all, but ha have any teams disengaged three times? Have you have, have you noticed that at all? Uh, and getting that gotten the penalty? I, I don't. I can't think of one actually. No, I, yeah, I can't think of one. Yeah, pitch so timer violations, but not yeah. not that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just wondering. Maybe I wonder if you agree with me on this one. Do you think that um, they were more aggressive in spring training, and, and maybe they're saving their bullets for the more important moments? Yeah, I definitely think there's a, like a, a sense of conservatism uh, here when it comes to that third disengagement because it's mm -hmm. it's embarrassing in a way, right? You don't want to be the first team that. Uh, you know, maybe it's already happened, but yeah, not that I'm aware of the first team that that uses that third one, it doesn't get the out. It just it again, we should be seeing it if we're seeing the the second one used effectively. We should see teams comfortable, you know, trying to use that third one just to put sort of uh, the threat there that that a team will. But um, I think there's just probably a conservative approach to to that at the major league level when the games count do you think that's a wise strategy or is it more just because you know these guys are, are huge competitors and they're trying not to like be like embarrassed on the field if, if they do get called for that for that buck yeah i think i i don't know i, I we, you read quotes from minor league managers who dealt with this all year last year uh they felt like they could have used three disengagements more often there were definitely situations where they felt like a base runner was taking a gigantic lead uh, after two and you should take the, the chance to throw somebody out. And I think uh, I read one manager say, every time they use a third one, they got the runner. So if hmm. you're doing that, then you should be using it more often, probably. Mm -hmm. That's what now, I would I would think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the the on opening day, I think one of the major kind of noticing of of, dis of the disengagement and the pickoff role was 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 Ronald Acuna Jr. Do you think maybe he will be the next fifty base stealer? Do you think we'll see any any runners? get that many stolen bases yeah i i do uh i think and i don't know if it'll be who it'll be but i think it, runners who i think what i've noticed more most over the last couple uh, of games is the the way that runners kind of get the momentum and get get that uh bounce to the second base to steal so not so much about raw speed which you know it's hard to top ronald acuna jr raw speed mm -hmm. uh, once he gets going but I think, uh, you know, somebody like Anthony Volpe or uh, I saw Miles Straw get the best jump I've ever seen a runner get yesterday uh, based on the read he got of a, of a pitcher when the pitcher started to go to the plate. Uh, 
Hmm. He was halfway to second base before the pitcher picked his leg up. So I think that kind of thing uh, might key into who, who's our stolen base leader this year. Uh, hmm. the, the ability to read a pitcher has become really important and the ability to, to uh, kind of get momentum going to second base. Yeah, and I think I heard on the on the on the on the on the kind of slow end of the runners. I think I heard that Ty France got his first ever stolen base, and it was a stole like he stole third base, which is just crazy. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's the one I saw. I saw another one yesterday where it was it was kind of a non contested play, um, but I think third base in particular is is one that you see runners who aren't as quick able to to steal just because you can pick up patterns uh, from the pitcher on when they are going to, to go to home plate. So if a pitcher looks back at you once every time before he goes to the plate, uh, you can, you can just run after that, right? If, mm-hmm. if that's like a, if that's a tendency that a pitcher has. So those types of things can be picked up by runners who may not be as quick, but uh, may be paying attention to the scouting side. Yeah. Smarter runners for sure. Um, now, do you think the combination of the shift ban and the, and the, I guess we can say allegedly inconsistent ball uh, mean that more teams are going to take a contact oriented oriented approach at the plate. Um, like it might be early, but I feel like we're kind of seeing that more often. It may just be the, like weather related as well. Like we, we we see less home runs in the colder weather, but do you think the more teams are going to be contact uh, oriented? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know what I think there. I think it, I, I don't see a drastic change in approach from on the hitting side, I think, uh, you know, if you're talking about a contact oriented approach, I think the, the lack of a shift in a way, it almost encourages more indulging the pull side, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's kind of letting it go, um, looking for a pitch that you can pull without worrying about rolling over on something that would have been an out before it's almost in a way kind of penalizes somebody looking for an opportunity to shoot a ball the other way. Hmm. Um, which which might be an out now. So that's that's just my takeaway. But um, I, I can't see a, a drastic change. I, I do think there are certain types of hitting profiles that will thrive more. Um, you know, hitters that hit the ball on the ground more, I think, will will be better off. And those hitters tend to run better and they'll be on base and they can run more. So, um, you know, I think it works out well for those types. Mm-hmm. And you uh, released a newsletter, I think it was, was it yesterday, about Zach Greinke? Um, and you mentioned how he slows the game down. Um, is there a way that batters can slow the game down? Or do you think that in the pitch clock era now that pitchers primarily control the pace of the game? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, somebody asked me that the other day, and I, I I can't see a way that a hitter can can really do it. I think you can definitely use that timeout. I think that's another thing where we've seen some conservative approaches so far. I've seen hitters, you know, maybe wait till late in the count, like a 3-2 count to take a timeout, and you only get one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you take that one and you need it later on, you're kind of caught uh, in that sense. So, you know, I think maybe comfortable veteran hitters would be more comfortable um, taking a timeout more often uh, to slow things down in a strategic way, right? If, if a pitcher uh, picks up two quick strikes on you in, in a matter of, you know, 15 seconds, that maybe that's a good time to take a timeout, mm-hmm. slow things down a little bit. Um, but other than that, I can't think of anything really, unless you're going to try to tie your shoes again <laughs> yeah um now we've, we're getting a lot of like there's a lot of of, of rumble i don't know who's who specifically who's saying it but a lot of people want want uh mlb to kind of 
I guess reassess the the pitch clock time. Do you think that we'll get kind of any 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 changes in in the pitch clock time or any adjustments to the rule like mid season or, or are we in it for the for the long haul at least for this season and then you know changes are coming in the off season? Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know what you your sense is based on what you've read. I, I don't think it. I, I could see it going backwards at this point. I think mm-hmm. uh, it worked at the minor league level and you know, that's where it was tested and there weren't any significant issues there. I read something that uh, on concession sales uh, yeah. this morning that they're in line with what they were last year. So MLB is comfortable from that point that the games aren't too fast. Uh, so I, I can't see a way, a, a reason to to slow them down at this point, given, uh, you know, everyone's kind of settled in, it seems yeah, like. I would agree with that. And I think that that we need to let it play out at least. And, and, you know, the, the dramatic moments might happen quicker, you know, rather than just, yeah, just having them, true. having them be, 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 be stretched out. Um, now I think one of my, the first post that I read from you and my most favorite one was that Max Scherzer post. Do you think that the the mental game has played out as, as, as much? It doesn't like, like you were saying before, it doesn't seem like they're being that aggressive yet. Yeah. Do you mean on, on the base running side? Kind of? Yeah. Like between the pitcher uh, yeah. and the baser, base runner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think, I think it definitely will. I think this is kind of where advanced scouting comes in. Uh, once we have more information on what runners are trying to do and what pitchers are trying to do, uh, there's data on, you know, what counts to pitchers throw over. And there is data on what counts do runners like to go on. Mm-hmm. It used to be that runners like to steal early in account, you know, first pitch or second pitch. Otherwise your, your feet kind of get heavy and, and, um, you know, the, the jump can, can, uh, kind of get, uh, not a way at if, if you have to wait around for it. And Max Scherzer was great at making hitter or base runners wait around, uh, to run and kind of take, you know, it's like starting a, a sprint, but mm-hmm. you're, you're given a, a minute, you know, countdown to do it. So, yeah. um, I think now runners are waiting longer because they're more out of breath getting to, to first base, hmm. uh, it's it's all quicker. So I think runners are, are waiting a few more pitches. So I think all of this is going to settle in, and we're going to get uh, pitchers kind of with more strategy, more pickoffs being called from the dugout, um, and more strategy being put into how those pickoffs are used. I just don't think I think there's so much going on right now, and pitchers are getting called for violations. Everyone's getting comfortable with the current set of rules before it's started uh, used competitively uh, on the pitching side. Yeah, so it sounds like there's a lot of a lot of noise that's happening that you need to filter through. So how 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 does a team know when when kind of the noise has gotten quiet enough to start implementing these strategies? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I, I don't know that I'd have an answer if I were working in that position. I think <laughs> you 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 have a game to play today, you have a game to play tomorrow, right? Yeah, so you yeah. you need to you need to come up with something uh, in the early going. I, I just wouldn't put too much stock into you know this first week. I think. Uh, you know, if you're looking at a base runner like like Volpe, who's run so much, you'd you'd watch, you know, each of those attempts and, and try to pick up similarities just based off of video. But once we get further into the season, you can start to look at kind of numbers based reports to look at to get a sense for where to look on mm-hmm. what a base runner is trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, another one of your uh, posts, uh, you talk about catchers going down to one knee. Um, do you think that less catchers are going to be doing that in order to get that faster snap throw to first? I, I don't know. I think the the value of that called strike is still so so high uh, that and, and the the snap throw to first base 
to throw behind a runner, it it does something to discourage base running, but it doesn't necessarily prevent a stolen base, right? If if you have a base runner who's who's going to go, they're less focused on the secondary lead. They're more focused on getting a big primary lead and then running if they're going to run. Mm-hmm. So the snap throws, I think, can catch certain types. They can catch, uh, like I wrote about, they can catch runners who stop and start. They can catch runners who fall asleep and just kind of bounce away from first base further than mm-hmm. they're you know used to being. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think you know that we'll see them prevent stolen bases from happening. So I don't see I don't see catchers changing. Uh, I could be wrong there, but I don't see catchers getting rid of the one knee to to make those throws. I do see catchers potentially working better ways to throw from one knee. And I think there are some who are really great at it. Yeah. And it's, it's also just a good delay of game tactic as well. And I, I listen to a lot or I watch a lot of Blue Jays games and, and Buck Martinez is a very uh, vocal detractor of the one knee. So it's just an interesting <laughs> thing to come up. I don't know if you've ever heard him talk about that. Yeah. It's, it's a very old school, new school debate. The one knee. Uh, mm-hmm. it's just so prevalent now you know, regardless of how you feel about it, it's, it's hard to ignore it. Right. It's, it's, it's everywhere. And Mm -hmm. I think it does help you get those calls. It'll be interesting to see what happens, you know, once we, if we move to an automated strike zone, you know, the one knee is no longer has its edge there. So Buck Martinez might, might get his way there. (laughs) Well, I I don't think it'll be totally automated. So I I think there's still room for it because they'll they'll only, they'll have this, the certain amount of of of, sure. of challenges in that um now speaking of the the strike zone have you ever like scouted umpires how, how do you go about scouting umpires yeah I, there's information out there on on called zones for umpires uh umpires also get evaluated every game by major league baseball and they get yeah. uh reports on every call that they missed so i think it's way different now than it used to be i think 10 years ago there might have been more tendencies on umpires and what what areas were, you know, hot spots or, or not. But I, I think there's a lot more consistency uh, now than there used to be. So I, I wouldn't say that, I, I think there's a lot more game to game variation than umpire to umpire variation, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Even though you can get the information on where umpires <clears throat> zones have been called. I just, I, I don't think there's a lot of use to it. Okay. Um, and I got uh, just one last question on on my, my list here. Um, Again, I, I follow the Blue Jays pretty closely, and I, I'm not sure if, if if you're as as close to to them as uh, as I am. But um, one of the one of their uh, struggling starting pitchers that we've seen so far early on is Jose Barrios. Um, maybe not specific to him, but how would you go about assessing and fixing a struggling pitcher? Hmm. Yeah, in the early going, I think it's it's tough. I think there's you know we'd like to see more, see a few starts before getting a sense of, of what might be, be going wrong. I'm certainly not an expert in pitching mechanics or, or anything on that end. Um, but from, from a result standpoint, you can start to look at, um, you know, I guess the, the first step would be pitch execution. You know, our, when you look at the catcher's glove, uh, where are, you know, Brios's fastballs ending up? Are they pulled glove side? Are they pulled beyond the glove toward a left-handed hitter? Are they left up? Are they left arm size or something going on there? If you see a common trend in that, mm-hmm. if it's command, that's sort of, um, you know, a root cause that, that would make it a lot harder to do anything else. Um, if it's, if it's something with the stuff, if it's the fastball, not looking like what it used to look like, um, you know, in terms of the, the break and, and velocity and things like that, uh, then that would be another, um, you know, potentially more concerning cause because that's, 
that's something that could be a, an indicator of injury or something something wrong there mechanically. Um, and then if it's breaking pitches, uh, you know, you can wonder if it's um, something that uh, is related again to mechanics or um, if it's something related to grip on the ball um, with all these changes <laughs> making to the baseball and, and mm -hmm. the crackdown on sticky stuff, things like that. Um, you know, that's always a question as well. I haven't seen it as much as I thought I would in the first week, but those are the types of things that you can take a look at. I think it's just so early right now that it could be easier to just write things off as one or two bad starts. Yeah, well, well, in, in Barrios's case specifically, I think it's a, a command thing and him leaving his passball out over the the, the middle of the plate because his stuff is still good. And it, But it's, you know, if you look back to last year, he's been struggling as well. But I, I hope that he can turn it around. And, and a guy like, a, a good example of the other end of that is, is, is you say, Kikuchi, who's, who's pitched very well so far in the, in, in the early going. So, so again, you know, it's, it's really interesting to watch how, how, pitchers evolve over you know over you know sometimes a few weeks and sometimes a few years that's really interesting um so noah um just i guess uh tell everybody how to how to how to find you on substack and on on on, on twitter as well i guess yeah it's just uh the advanced scout uh, dot substack dot com so hopefully easy to find there and then uh twitter is uh woodward ps all right well noah thanks for joining me and uh, i'm looking forward to, to reading many more of your posts Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. That was fun. All right. Thanks. Okay. And we're back. So that was the Noah Woodward interview. Uh, so like I said in the, in the interview there, go check out his sub stack. It is the advanced scout. It's a really interesting read. It's, uh, it's really neat to see just the, the, uh, the game, uh, strategies uh from an from a guy who used to work for mlb he used to what did he say he, he worked with baltimore and houston and 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 atlanta so he has a lot of experience uh uh just giving the different strategies that are employed and and potential new ones with these with these new uh rules that are that are taking place so really great read i think he posts a, a new uh substack post every week uh, so yeah, check that out for sure. I don't know if I mentioned it off the top, but I have a Substack as well, uh, Matt Gower's Brain on Baseball. Uh, so you check that out. And also, uh, yeah, I don't remember if we mentioned to check us out on Twitter, at Jays From Home and Mastodon. Just look for Jays From Home. So so check check those out for sure. Uh, follow and, and 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 share and like, all those, all those things. Um, all right, now just some personal things to talk about. Uh, you know, shorter episode today because uh, my co-host again, Steve, is not here, so there's nobody to bounce my my opinions off of. So you'll just have to kind of listen to my to my voice uh, for a little bit longer. Um, okay, so personal stuff to talk about. Um, I'm gonna start with again my 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 strikeout for the week. Um, so it's it's a long weekend. Stores were were closed Friday Friday and Sunday, I believe. Uh, so I had to get my groceries in a little earlier than normal, and in my in my kind of haste to get my 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 grocery order in, I forgot to hit the checkout button. So at about like two or three in the afternoon, I was wondering where my grocery delivery was, and it was still in the uh, cart in the, in the in the in the web store. So I had to I had to quickly scramble and, and get my list together and and take Leo uh, with me to to go grocery shopping after I picked him up from school because it was. Uh, buses were canceled again with the with the uh, with that ice storm, 
Um, but I was able to get all the groceries, but it was this, it was a little bit crazy with the long weekend people getting their shopping and everybody kind of had the same idea as I did. Uh, maybe they all forgot to hit checkout on their, in their, in their carts, who knows? Um, but yeah, so we ended up having to, to, to grocery shop in the, in the mad rush. Uh, my no decision is, uh, it's also Easter weekend. Uh, my no decision is, is sugar all day. Like the kids, they have fun eating all the, the chocolate and finding all the, the Easter eggs that the Easter bunny, uh, hides and leaves behind. But pretty much, I think they, they, they had nothing but sugar on, on Sunday. So, so it's, it's fun for them, but, but, uh, Kristen and I have to deal with the, the sugar, the sugar highs, the sugar crashes and the, and the faces, uh, caked with chocolate need to be cleaned off as well. So, so not, not, not fun for us, but fun for the kids. Uh, it, it, it is a little bit, a little bit fun for us, I should, I guess I should say, but, uh, yeah, so, so sugar all day is my no decision. And my home run, it was also on top of being Easter and it was, it was Leo's birthday. So on top of his Easter candy, he got to have his birthday cake. So Leo turns five years old and it's funny, you know, like five years ago, uh, I believe when Leo was a newborn, there was also, we were also experiencing an ice storm here in Ottawa and, and, you know, power was out and it was, it was, it was a lot worse actually five years ago. I think it only lasted a couple of days, uh, this time around, but, uh, yeah, Leo is, 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 is five years old. He's, he's huge. He's He's, he's, I think he had a pretty fun, fun birthday and he got to, to play outside with his friends and, 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 and play with his, his, his favorite, one of his favorite dog friends, Bo the dog. Uh, so Leo had a, had a pretty fun birthday and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. The kids are growing up <laughs> really, really fast. Bo's birthday is next. He'll, he'll be three. Uh, but yeah, my, my, my home run is devoted and, and dedicated to, to Leo who turns, turned five on, on Sunday. So happy birthday, Leo. Um, all right, so we'll be back next week. I think Steve will, will be with me uh, co-hosting next week. So uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Looking at-